Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart podcast, keeping you healthy and pain-free. I am your host, Karen Litzy, and today we're going to be talking with Dr. Sandy Hilton. Sandy Hilton is the co-owner of Entropy Physiotherapy in Chicago, Illinois, and we are going to be talking all about pelvic health, which is the topic of her lecture at the ISPI Clinical Conference, which takes place from uh, June 19th to the 21st in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And if you want more information, you can go to ispinstitute.com and download the brochure. And there's still room, and there's it's a, it's a great conference, and I, I think it's just going to be a lot of fun. They've got a wonderful lineup of, of speakers, and, and I went last year, and it was awesome. So ispinstitute.com. And uh, before we get to the interview, I have another, uh, what I'm going to start doing uh, with each podcast is sort of highlighting one or two things that I, I think are fun and cool and happening in the world of physical therapy or health. So if you're out there and you're listening and maybe you have a great blog or you're going to be doing a talk or you have a conference coming up, email me and let me know what you're doing, and I'll put it uh, in the beginning section here of the podcast. So email me at klitzy at me, that's Emma's and Mary E's and Edward.com, and we'll get it up and we'll tell people kind of the cool stuff you're doing. So today, um, we're going to be talking about Next Gen PT. So Next Gen PT is a great organization, and they have certifications, they have residencies, they have fellowships. They've got a great staff, great faculty, so check them out at nextnxtgenpt.com. And if you decide that you want to sign up for one of their certifications, residencies, or fellowships, you'll save uh, 5%, I believe, off of your purchase by using the code HEALTHYWEALTHYSMART5. So that's nextgenpt.com. Go on, check them out, check out their certifications, their residencies, their fellowships. They're all about being clinically focused uh, and just trying to make you the best PT you can. And if you like what you see on checkout, use Healthy Wealthy Smart 5 and save 5%. Okay, so let's get that. With all that out of the way, it's time to the main event. So uh, Dr. Sandy Hilton, hi and welcome back to the podcast. Hi Karen and thank you for having me back. It's always a pleasure. And, okay, so like I said, you will be doing uh, a talk at the ISPI Clinical Conference, Every Joint Has a Brain, on pelvic health. So let's kind of back it up a little bit. Let's go back in history. And <laughs> can you tell everyone what got you excited and what got you interested in pelvic health or in it, women's health, maybe what it, what it was called years ago? What it was called years ago, yes, and, and still around the world. Um, I got interested in, in women's health and uh, by working on men, actually. I was working in U Eugene, Oregon, and um, worked with a lot of the loggers that were cutting trees down and hurting their backs. And the local physician, who was an absolute doll, sent me a patient who walked in and said, um, Doc Bailey said that you're going to show me how to have sex without my back hurting. And after I got done with the shock and the really great blushing that I did and a little bit of gasping saying physical therapists don't do that, um, 
I went and talked to the doctor and he said it was mechanical back pain that was making him have a problem, uh, which I did know how to do, uh, take care of that and got him well. And he went and told all his friends. Um, so I had a great clientele of a bunch of bloggers, much like the brawny guys in the commercial, which is lovely. And, um, but I went up to the doctor and I asked him why there weren't any women that came and said that they were having problems having sex because their back hurt and asked him, um, probably rather rudely why he didn't send any and if he didn't did he not ask or did they not tell him or did he not care um and this was a lovely doctor and he started asking his patients and um he sent me a couple of ladies that couldn't have sex because of pain and that is not usually mechanical low back pain um back in the days before the internet was a big thing and um before I knew that there were really amazing pelvic health therapists up in Seattle, I went to the library and learned an awful lot about pelvic anatomy and what to do. And you know, physical therapists learn in school everything about musculoskeletal health and um, how to how to make sure muscles are working and and how to deal with pain. I just uh, looked at that like it was a musculoskeletal problem, like anywhere else. Um, and, and for those women that helped and that, that led me to more classes and more information because I, I needed to know more. There was just too much, too much to learn to teach myself. And I went and sought out people and, um, and still keep doing that and keep learning. And for those people who are listening, who maybe they're interested in learning a little bit more about pelvic health, where can they go to find more information? We have classes um, here in the States through two different institutions that have been doing it for a while. The section on women's health with the American Physical Therapy Association has uh, courses in, in public health for men and women, and those courses are reviewed on a regular basis to keep them up as, as close to the current evidence that we have and best practice. Um, the Herman and Wallace Institute also teaches courses uh, with some phenomenal instructors. That is who I did my training through eventually. Um, I believe the there's someone else, I apologize if you're listening, that is teaching classes, but I don't remember. Um, and then uh, Evidence in Motion has just started a, a training program for public health. Um, there's also some great uh, courses up in Canada, if that's easier for you, through Public Health Solutions um, in Toronto. Great. Well, thank uh, you. Thank you. So, all right, so let's let's kind of go, take a step back again. So you're working on loggers. You're living in Oregon. You you figure, uh, okay, if I'm doing this for men and it's helping, and, and then you start seeing some women, and and you go to the library. You're really invested. You're learning more. You're taking courses. How do you get to the point where you go from taking courses to teaching courses? <laughs> um, I think that started because of my interest in, in pain and learning about pain. I um, went to the NOI 2012, oh, 2010. Oh, where does time go? The NOI 2010 conference in London, in England. Um, and that conference that David Butler put it on, and it was amazing. And the amount of information there about what we can do in health with helping anyone that's in pain was phenomenal and practice changing. Um, but they didn't talk about pelvic pain. So there were probably five of us there that were pelvic health therapists, and we were 
constantly asking each other and the speakers, what can you do and can I apply this and, and taking the research that was done on other parts of the body after the conference and trying to, to come up with how this would apply in pelvic pain specifically. Carolyn Van Dyken um, up in Toronto uh, was a good sport and her and I met up in Buffalo one weekend and sat with all the research and um, some pizza and came up with our, a couple of papers that we wrote on on how the pain signs would possibly apply to pelvic health specifically and pelvic pain, all of the information about central sensitization and um, graded imagery and graded exposure and how can we take that really rigorous research that's been done on other parts of the body and make some hopefully rational assumptions about how that might apply. It's not been studied, and I'm um, very clear about saying that, that, that there aren't any um, strong studies on manual therapy and pelvic pain um, or graded exposure in pelvic pain that have been done at the level of rigor that has been done for backs and necks and hands. So much of what we're doing is saying, this makes sense, and here's why. Uh, so the class that I teach with Carolyn is is about that, of how to apply the pain science specifically to pelvic pain, ideas about um, graded exposure and graded imagery and neurodynamics specifically to the region between the belly button and the upper thigh, front and back, um, and using the best evidence that we have for that. Uh, the class is constantly changing, and it is, again, after Bronnie Thompson did a a course for us here in Chicago at Entropy. Um, Sarah Haig, my business partner, and I um, are very lucky to be able to bring in speakers that are just world-class, and Bronnie was the most recent. And her course was on the, the psychosocial aspects of pain. We got a master's class in motivational interviewing and, um, and how to listen to someone and really hear their story I love learning from occupational therapists because they have taught me so much over my career from the very first one right out of school when I was doing acute neuro, who him and I were walking a, a, a patient who'd had a head injury outside um, just to kind of see how they did in the real world environment. And I got schooled about not pushing the elevator button for someone and not opening doors for someone. And as a physical therapist, you know, fresh out of school, I just wanted to make it everything as easy for my patient as possible. And, and he kept telling me that what I was doing was stopping them from having a learning experience. <laughs> um, Bronnie did the same thing with words of we want to help and pull the information out and, and really make this uh, an easy process for our patients. But sometimes by, by smoothing that too much, we, we miss some problems that they're having. And if we would just be quiet um, and, and rephrase and, and feed back to them what they've said to us, periodically we can get a better sense of what's really going on in their heads. Um, and their belief system. So uh, it was a fun week last week, changing the way I do my interviews with my patients. And I felt like I was sitting on my hands verbally, like, just just don't talk, Sandy, shush, uh, which is great. A big change for me. So so what you learned from the course with Bronnie, um, that's just going to kind of change. How will that change, let's say, your treatment plans? How will that change uh, your, your interaction with patients with very 
because you know if you're seeing uh, pelvic health patients, it's obviously a very sensitive area. So, what did you learn from Brawny that is going to make you change what you're already doing quite successfully, or maybe not change? Let's say add to to kind of what you're doing because this is a sensitive area where people maybe don't. Is it harder for people to talk about when they have issues around their pelvis versus talking about someone who has like a sprained ankle? It can be. Um, because, well, you know, if you're, I guess if you're a world-class runner and you just sprained your ankle right before your qualifying meet, that might be highly sensitive topic to talk to someone about. Um, for, for pelvic dysfunction, you know, like, for example, a, a newly married woman who, who is, has not had sex before marriage and then finds that sex is excruciatingly painful, um, that, that's a delicate topic and one that must be addressed, mostly by asking them questions that are open-ended and then letting them answer um, feeding back to them what they've said so that you can, can use that to steer the conversation in a way where you can, with them, come up with, with workable, um, workable things for homework, for changing the way they think about it or, or, um, their hope about what can change. Um, one thing that, that Bronnie emphasized was looking at self-efficacy, uh, and confidence of that. So asking people even as simply as how confident are you on a scale from zero to 10 that you can, that you can put into action the plans that, that you have to change. Um, and then some very interesting ways of taking that answer and making it very hopeful. Um, so that, that I already put into practice. It's fun. It made my brain change. And I so, love it when my brain changes. So for example, so I love that sort of asking how confident are you that you can implement these changes or that you're on board with the treatment plan. So uh -huh. then if someone, can you give an example of how, depending on what the person says, what if they say, no, I'm not confident at all. I can't do it. Then, the, then, so if I, if I asked you that, um, and said, you know, <laughs> Karen, how, how confident are you that, that you will be able to find that next geocache? Because I just got her hooked on it. Thank you, Bronnie, who got me hooked on it. Um, if you went back to the one you tried to find, are you, how confident are you on a scale of 0 to 10 that you'd be able to find it? Oh, that I tried? Oh, you, have to, you have to answer um, me. <laughs> gosh, I don't know. Maybe if it's not, you know, dark out, I would have maybe a little bit more confidence. But the thing is, is we didn't really even quite know what we were looking for because it was for the paid part of the geocaching, not the free part. Ah. And so we didn't really have like, oh, it's a little container. We didn't even know what we were looking for. We were just looking for something odd or out of place. And it's also strange to be kind of lurking around someone's townhome on the Upper West Side <laughs> of Manhattan at 1030 at night looking through their bushes. This is a great example because patients will, will not answer the 0 to 10 questions. Sometimes you have to say, so Karen, what I'm hearing you saying is that it was more challenging than you thought it would be. If maybe if you tried again in, in the daytime, would you, on a scale of 0 to 10, feel confident? And where, are, where would you be that you might be able to find something just simple? Or I could even ask you if you were interested in that, because that's the mm -hmm. other thing. And sometimes as therapists, we come up with a goal, but the patient's not really very interested in it. 
And and we know from our own lives, if it's not something you're really keen on getting better at, you're probably not going to try real hard. Yeah, absolutely. Um, something else might be more important. And I don't mean that to, to minimize what anyone's going through. It's just that, that sometimes we guess wrong. Um, we as like, in therapists guess wrong. We as in therapists guess wrong. Guess wrong in what, in what respect? Uh, in what a patient's goals might be or why they're why that is their goal. Um, so for example, I have a, a, that, that newly married patient that, that has painful sex. Uh, an easy assumption for me to make would be that, that her, when she says she wants to be able to, to be pain-free is that it, she wants to enjoy sex. But the reason when I asked the question a little better, a little more refined and asked about interest and confidence, the reason she wants to be pain-free is that she wants to have children, which is a whole different answer. Oh, my God. Completely um, different. Right? Oh, my gosh. Completely different answer. And what it, would it completely – oh, my gosh. That's so, – so using the techniques that you learned from Bronnie, you were able to kind of dig a little bit deeper and, and kind of – say, well, you know, you want to have sex pain-free, all of a sudden you, you want to have children. What a different answer. What a different mindset. It is, and, and I think that we are we have reason from the research that has been done around pain and mindfulness and consciousness, if we want to go down that rabbit hole, is that, that from any therapy perspective, um, we need to be setting our goals not our goals as the therapist, but our goals as in a team with the patient um, to meet their interest, their confidence, and their their desire to achieve it. Um, and and something's going to be more uh, more likely to be met if we have those conditions. So we should take advantage of it. And I think that that a lot of physical therapists do this intuitively, uh, but it is really fun to have tools that let you refine it and be more elegant and more efficient at it. And that's really what I got out of the course was not that, not that any of this was new. It's that, wow, I can do that better. Um, and at 27 years of doing this, I love it when I take a class that makes me feel like, wow, I can do this better. Um, yeah. So you just sort of sharpened your tools a little bit more. Yeah. And, and have honed in on, uh, really what the patient is so desperately trying to get out but sometimes has such a hard time doing it mm -hmm. and and if you if you if you're not meeting the patient where they are and you you're kind of on your own agenda of this is what I think the patient needs because you know I kind of got that from the interview then I think you're you're going to have a, a much tougher time I think you're going to lose the patient a little bit a lot actually I think it can feed into a, and I work, not all not all of my patients are, are persistent pain, um, but the majority of them are. They have been to so many people, and every single one of those people have done their best and tried real hard, and um, it, it's the saying goes that, that, you know, we all want to not just be one more in a string of therapists that they've tried to see, but we want to be the last one, the one that really helps them and, and makes them not need us anymore in the long run. Um, so yeah, this is all what I'll be talking about for, uh, at the conference of weaving this through how to get, uh, this kind of information in, in what we do in therapy, um, and why, why physical therapists need to be addressing pelvic health and, regardless and so, of their setting. Yeah. And so I guess let, let's talk about that for, for a second. So, um, 
like you said before we started, Adrian Lowe had sort of approached you and said, you know, why should a therapist, why should a therapist screen someone for pelvic health? So if I'm seeing someone that has upper back pain or low back pain, they're not having any traditional quote unquote pelvic health issues. Why do I, why is this important for a therapist? It's, it's a really good screening question because the statistics say that most people with problems with even incontinence, uh, bladder uh, incontinence for sure, um, don't report. They just assume that it's, it's possible or normal. And, and with, with problems sitting, problems with prolapse of organs, problems with pain with sex or... Uh, where it's hurt so much, they just stopped even trying to have sex, so they don't, you know, it's like uh, nothing's gone in there, so they don't know if it still hurts. They're just not using it anymore. Um, it's, a, it's a lot of avoidance. You can, you know, a woman can live the rest of her life without having sex, and if the only time it hurts is when she has sex, then look, problem solved, no pain. But, so if you ask, do you have any problems, they'll say no, but it's because you're not... You're not using the equipment. You're not using the equipment, uh-huh. exactly. And, and, and again, it's important to note that this is not just women. Yeah, true. Because like yeah. you said before, like you said before we started, um, why is pelvic health important? And pelvic health is important because... That's a, a hat tip to, to Woots on Twitter. The, um, the, the pelvis is important because it's there. Um, it is so uh, integral to everything we do with sitting, with with all of our digestive tract with peeing and pooping and certainly with sex. And when we, what we know about uh, how important is something to you, that part is going to be protected really well. Um, the ability to, to move freely around your pelvis is pretty important for everything we do for athletes and anyone who has to sit or stand or move and certainly anyone who would like to evacuate the fluids from their body. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, yeah. and it, that's even more than sex. So PTs are in a great environment to be able to just ask the screening question. Just ask, do you have any problems with, with bowel or bladder? You have to follow that one up because people will say no because they think it's normal to leak so and it is never follow that up then so if someone says no most people would check off the no box and then move on so so how would you follow that up and who would you would you follow that up with everyone that you see or would you follow that up with certain with people who are coming with certain diagnoses i think that, that it is wise to ask um do you have a, in our systems check for all of our patients we should be making sure that they have no problems with cardiac problems that, you know, they're not falling and um, that they're not incontinent. Um, so when you ask, do you have any problems with bowel or bladder, the two questions, even if you're only going to ask two, I would ask if they ever have any problems with constipation where you are not able to have a bowel movement at least every three days or it comes out like little rocks. Um, and you'd be surprised how many physical therapists and some physicians are very uncomfortable asking that question. Um, but I also think that it's very, very important to stress to patients, it's a great opportunity of it is never normal to leak urine. Yes, Just even, even full if stop. you're working out, it's not normal. Or, you know, if you had a, a, 
a child months ago. It's not like this is not normal behavior. It is, it is not normal behavior, and it is not something you have to just put on a pad and, and deal with for men or for women. Um, so, so asking the question, even if a person tells you, no, I'm fine, what you've done is put in their head that, hey, maybe I should talk to someone about this. And that, that's great. I wouldn't ask them every time if they tell you no, that's great. But certainly if you're working with them and they, they leave after 20 minutes to go to the bathroom and then 20 minutes later they leave to go to the bathroom again, that's not normal. Uh, and, and you might be able to make their life a whole lot easier with a, a referral to someone like me or any of the other great public health therapists around the country. Okay. Yeah, no, that's – I love those – those sort of quick screening questions that we should be asking everyone. That's and, and I'll admit I don't ask those every time. And I think that should be sort of standard as part of your evaluation. Because yeah, just like taking pulse and heart rate. Exactly, exactly. Great, great. All right. So let's move on to the conference. Okay. So people mm -hmm. are at the ISPI clinical conference and they have signed up to hear you speak on Sunday, what can they expect? What's going to happen? They're going to hear um, about peeing. They're going to hear about peeing, pooping, and sex, and why that's important. Um, and then we're also going to go through some case studies with some um, some problem solving and critical thinking. I have three different um, examples in there, and it's um, it's going to be interactive where. Uh, I don't think anyone should have to sit still and listen to someone just talk at them for hours. We're going to do some of the graded uh, imagery and movement that I do with my patients. And um, all of it is equipment free. It's just that all they need to do is bring their brains and their pelvises. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> And probably of... everything else too. So And, and everything in between. Everything, that's right. Everything above and below. Um, From the top of your head to your toes, please bring that with you, and we'll use it all. Cool. So, you know, you had mentioned the graded motor imagery. Um, when using that with pelvic health, it's kind of hard to wrap your mind around how you would do that. I, I call it totally not hand. scientifically. This really is a made-up name, but we call it, like, what is we calling it? Applied graded motor imagery. <laughs> Okay. Um, because it is not what has been studied. It is not with uh, all the studies that Lorimer Mosley has done and David Butler have done. Um, that is not it. It, has, it takes pieces and components out of that, but there's no mirror to put anywhere. And um, yeah. guys have a visual representation of their parts, and they've seen each other's and their own, and, um, but most women do not. So there's not a uh, – that's not the kind of – visual imagery it's more of a mental imagery and a felt sense of movement and awareness um, so it, it takes pieces out of the work that Eric Franklin has done with his movement and imagery from dance and pieces from David Butler and Laura Mosley's work and now pieces from Brownie's research and work uh, and uh, there's a physician here in Chicago that wants me to name it and study it and, and make a protocol. And I keep telling him it's, it's guiding principles. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. not a, mm -hmm. it's not a, you start everyone at, at one and proceed through 10. It's, it's some guiding principles that form how we get um, movement to be accepted and 
and to relearn what normal is for that person. And, um, and in movement, um, movement such as sports or walking or just sitting or, you know, everything that takes place around the pelvis. Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. So we can do, we can do, there, there will be standing and sitting and some, some probably walking, um, exercises that are, that focus on it. Um, and I'll, I'll guide them through how I teach that to patients. It's, um, it's always very, depending on the patient, you know, you try and come up with a metaphor that, that someone will understand and get, and you get this blank look back at you because you're using references they've never heard of. Mm-hmm. So you need a giant Rolodex in your head to be able to look at them and, and read their body language and their face and say, that didn't work for you, so let me try this a different way. Um, so it's a lot, of, uh, a lot of interaction with the person in front of you, which is why I call it guiding principles, not a particular protocol. And so this sounds a little different to me than, you know, if you remember earlier this year, uh, Tiger Woods, his sacrum popped out. And so his he sacrum popped went back out. in. Yeah. So it sounds like this is a little different than saying, oh, you have an upslip, so let's pull that part of the pelvic back, pelvis back down, or your sacrum is tilted and rotated, and, and so we're just going to pop it back, it back. into place. Or, you know, yeah. what is the... The, I don't. I don't know. Is there an an upside to that sort of language when you say uh, that to a patient? Or I, I mean, I look at it as, hey, my pel- my sacrum popped out. I mean, that's pretty inflammatory language to say to someone. I so, think that can be very scary. I know that some people use it as a shorthand. Um, fully realizing that the sacrum did not go out rudely without even leaving a note. Um, it's that. It's that it, it's used to mean, I guess it's not an optimal alignment for that human, and now movement feels bad. Um, I don't. I just avoid those words because I don't want to create one more pebble of doubt about the inherent stability of a person's body um, where they don't trust it. Because that goes back to the how confident are you that you can reach these goals? If what's in your head about a piece of you is that it can't be counted on to even stay where it belongs um how much are you going to be able to stop guarding it uh more than or turn down the need for guarding it uh, and there's layers and layers and layers of protection inside of ourselves we're pretty amazing um the majority of them are unconscious mm-hmm. uh, so this work it is when i work in the clinic i i I still consider myself a manual therapist, even though I really, if I could call myself anything, I would like to call myself a pain something, um, clinical specialist. Maybe we need a new one. Mm-hmm. But um, the I use manual therapy to help people create inside themselves an awareness of what normal feels like mm-hmm. for them. So it's not a, um, it's not a, a globally assigned normal for you is this it's the person finding what normal is for them again individually because uh, we have a wide variety of, of optimal movement it's really optimal for the person um, so we use manual therapy to help calm down the alarms and get them trusting themselves and moving well but the majority of the homework that a patient has is uh, to redeveloping reintegrating that sense of self and a sense safety around that part and wholeness 
and wholeness and, and comfort and trust and confidence and yeah and I think that that I get super gold stars for my patients when I can teach them how to do all of that for themselves mm-hmm. so that they know if I, they go out on a trip with someone and and they get their pain turned on that they also have a bucket of techniques they can do for themselves to turn it back down mm-hmm. because we will hurt all of us will at some point or another yeah. um, we need to be able to to keep the parts of our life that that make us happy and and feel like ourselves despite hurting um, and be portable with it Absolutely. so that's what the class is all about is how to screen when to screen and I guess one other really important part is um, if you ask those questions, you have to know what to do with the answers. So oh, if yeah. you're a... So, yeah, let's, let's talk about this yeah? for a second. So, <laughs> so, so, let's so if say, you start asking... Yeah, let's say you start asking those questions of, of uh, you know, do you have problem? Are you incontinent? Or, and someone says, oh, only when I work out. And then you write it down. Yeah. and you write it down, you move on, and you never you address it again. And you, what do you do? What do you do with that? What happens? Um, well, if you're not interested in so all of you, the collective you, physical therapists out there listening to this, um, or any occupational therapist or anybody, um, if you are not someone interested in, in addressing that problem, first up is you need to know that's not normal um, and that there is there is an ability to change it. Um, incontinence is one of those things we've got level one evidence for. Uh, get to a physical therapist. Get screened by your physician to make sure it's nothing um, like bladder cancer um, or 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 some other problem. Uh, but then you should be referred to a public health physical therapist that can teach you how to accurately retrain the, the, the bladder if that's necessary or the muscles of the pelvic floor if that's necessary or both. Um, so as a, just a general ortho PT or a sports specialist, if you find out that that's happening and that's not your thing, then you get on the APTA, find a therapist and type in women's health. Unfortunately, you still have to type in women's health, even if it's a man, (laughs) but it will still get you to therapists that can help. Yeah. Thanks for saying that. I think that's important to, to note that, uh, you know, we often think about this when I feel like when people often think of pelvic pain and incontinence and things like that, they automatically think of women. And I think it's important to note that this happens in men too, and that pelvic health specialists work with both sexes. Hopefully. Yes, we do. There are some who only want to work with men, and there are some who only want to work with women. There are some who really are developing a specialty about working with transgender. There are um, there are some who are of a specialty about working with pediatrics. Um, so, so there is help for any age, any sex, any orientation. We got you covered. We got it. So, yeah, so thanks for, for bringing that up so that, again, for those uh, listeners, if you ask these screening questions and someone has says yes to those screening questions, don't just kind of go over it. Think to yourself, well, I can, it, it, let's say that someone's there for low back pain, but you're not uh, a pelvic health specialist. You can still work with them for their back pain issues, but it's important to make sure that you're giving the patient the information they need to help their pelvic issues. 
And, and that is by going, find find a PT in your area, apt.org, find a PT. Yep. And, and the same with asking about sex, because I know if asking about continence is, a, is an issue, asking if you're having problems or difficulties with sex is a bigger issue. One of my favorite soapboxes, I'll say it again, is the revised Das Westery, which took the sex question off. Oh. The original has it. Um, the revision does not, and I would love it if that just disappeared, um, because it is such a really important screening question um, for for neurological dysfunction, that why it's why it was there originally in the first place, and um, but also for putting in someone's head that it's not normal that you have problems and pain can back pain can make you certainly not want to have sex, uh, and that that might be all it is, or it might be that the the spinal roots are so irritated that the pelvic nerves are also irritated. Um, so we, I think that a, a a good physio would screen not just the spine, but also the hips and the pelvis. Um, same for pelvic health therapists. You don't, we, we are not trained to just look at the pelvis. We also look at the spine and the hips and everything else. So we're really putting the pelvis back in the body because um, it belongs there and it's important. Right. So, so you're, you're really looking at the human movement systems as a whole all of them, the whole human, yes. Yes, absolutely. And and I say human movement systems because that was a, a part of the Rothstein Roundtable at the next conference, which just took place in Washington, D.C. And it definitely uh, was, it was good. It was good. It, it did, like uh, Nicole Stout said, it accomplished exactly what it set out to do, and that was to start a conversation. Correct. So, um, at any rate, I digress. So is there is there anything else, Andy, that you want to? Because we have a couple of minutes here. What what did we miss? What did we miss uh, that you're going to be talking about at the conference? Well, I'm going to I'm go. We'll be not only saying you need to ask questions, but I have some information about which ones are helpful to ask as we went over, and also how we start the treatment pro process. So I will be giving some information. Things that you can do to help someone that has pelvic pain or incontinence even um, uh, that, that might get them going that you can just fold into the treatment that you're already doing. Um, you do not have to do internal work if you are uncomfortable with it. In fact, I would say please don't do internal work if you're uncomfortable with it because you're, the person that you're working on will pick that discomfort up really quickly and you will only find out how good the pelvic floor muscles are at protecting <laughs> Um, and, that makes sense. And it it won't be good for anyone. Um, but also, the, but you can help, which is what the exercises we're going to do are all, as David Butler would say, pants on. Um, it's all things that, that you can learn uh, to do to help bring some awareness and some coordination and control and sensory integration of the pelvis into anyone. Um, so it'll be very interactive and fun and fully clothed. Fully clothed. Okay, that's good because I'm hopefully attending <laughs> that. I picked it as my number one choice, so I'm hoping to get in. Um, but fully clothed is good. That is good. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. I don't know how Adrian and his wife would feel about having half-clothed people running around their conference, but I don't know. I don't, maybe they like it. I don't know. I don't know. We can find out. I know that at the NOI conference in Adelaide, there was a streaker. Oh, so, was um, 
I, I am I with my very good Catholic girl upbringing was terribly embarrassed by that. Appreciative, but embarrassed. Um, he was a handsome chap, um, but uh, I I would probably blush like I always have. So it's good for your skin. It keeps you looking young. That's true. That's true. But you know, I have I have one suggestion for your talk. I think at some point you should workshop some of your stand-up material into it. <laughs> I think that it would be very hard for me not to. Yeah, I say, um, I say workshop some stuff in, see where you get the laughs. <laughs> you know, this is like fertile training ground for you for when you go back to your stand-up class. Very good. I am I'm actually up this Wednesday night um, on the 9th at, uh, at a place I'm thinking about not going because they're not even going to start till 10 o'clock at night. <sighs> so well, I don't know. You know um, the stand-up world. Is, yeah, welcome to the stand-up world. So I might be doing it this Wednesday night. Um, and then I would be practicing for the conference because my plan is to get up there and do seven glorious minutes about everything about pelvic health and uh, and, and even have the, the velvet labia puppet, the vagina puppet, will be making a showing. What? I'll bring it to the conference. Okay, yeah, bring it to the conference. <laughs> So now, hey, if people are in Chicago, can they come and check this out? Yeah, if you're in Chicago, uh, it will be at the Abbey. It's a, a, a bar, uh, I can't remember the neighborhood, but you can look it up. It's at the Abbey, um, Wednesday the 9th at 9.30, oh dear heavens, is when we all sign up. All right, well, so uh, listen, I guess if anybody's in the Chicago area and they want to get a sneak peek of what she's going to be speaking about in Minneapolis with... Vagina puppets and all. Go to the Abbey and check out her stand-up act. Um, so Very so that's, that's awesome. So thanks so much for coming on. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they do it? They can find me on Twitter at at Sandy Hilton PT uh, at Entropy Physiotherapy. Uh, in, my email is Sandy at Entropy Physio.com. And that's entropy, like the law of thermodynamics, and physio, P-H-Y-S-I-O. Great. Well, thank you so much. And again, everyone, uh, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. And if you have any questions for me, I can be found on Twitter, at Karen Litzy NYC. And if you have anything fun or anything cool or you've got a good blog or maybe you're just starting a blog, or you've got, you're doing a stand-up act, or what have you, uh, email me at K-L-I-T-Z-Y at me, that's M as in Mary, E as in Edward, dot com, and uh, I will get it up here in the beginning of the podcast so that everybody can check out your cool stuff. So, Sandy, thanks again for coming on. Um, again, the ISPI Clinical Conference, Every Joint Has a Brain, is June 19th to the 21st in Minneapolis. And everyone, thank you for tuning in. Have a great week and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart.